Hi, this is Matt coming to you from cold and wintry North Bend here today. Just wanting to wish you all a happy new year and to introduce uh, listener uh, Dave Ball, who's going to do a little introduction for our movie today, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. And uh, Dave said this is one of his all-time favorite movies and uh, reached out and asked if he could do an introduction. So Dave, take it away. Well, thank you, Matt and Bob, for this opportunity to uh, talk about one of my favorite movies from uh, a while back, 1948, Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. I posted a short synopsis or review of this some time ago, and I was shocked at the number of people that uh, give a thumbs up to the to the review. I think it was a couple of hundred, actually. This is a much more popular movie than I had imagined, but uh, not one that everybody associates with Cary Grant, who's one of the stars, Myrna Loy and Melvin Douglas. Cary Grant, more known for his more suave, sophisticated roles. And here he's just a, a father living in Manhattan, working in the advertising business, and finally so frustrated with living in an apartment in Manhattan that just does not have enough room. So he begins to speculate on how he could possibly uh, come up with a way of finding a place that's comfortable, enough room for the, the children, and an easy way to commute back and forth to the city. Now, that's an important part of this movie because this is the start in the later 40s, into 50s, and even into the 60s, the start of this whole idea of commuting beyond the uh, metropolitan areas in North America. Um, actually, I was a part of that in, uh, in Canada, moving to a suburban area in 1958. And uh, before that, there wasn't much large suburban development outside of the main city. But this is where it all started. And uh, coincidentally, and interesting enough, for those who will remember, the I Love Lucy uh, series in uh, their final ep uh, season, that's what they were all about, buying a house in the country and um, commuting back and forth to the city. So it was, uh, it was a wave that was happening, and it's done with... Uh, Great humor and great uh, gentleness, and I think this movie sort of rolls along like a like a Sunday morning drive. I, I've sort of coined it as a comfort food. It's a it's a comfort food film that uh, just makes you feel good. Uh, there's nothing to assault the senses, and there's some wonderful scenes and wonderful memories. Uh, Melvin Douglas is particularly uh, terrific as sort of a sounding board for what's going on as they try to get this house built. And the humor spread around with everybody. In particular, I'd like to mention uh, the young daughter, Joan, who gets off some very good lines throughout the movie. So enjoy it, and it's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. If you have, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Well, that was the opening music to Mr. Blanding's Built His Dream House, released in 1948 and starring Cary Grant, Myrna Loy, Melvin Douglas, Reginald Denny, Sharon Moffat, Connie Marshall, and uh, Lois Beavers. And uh, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net or on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And you can also listen to us on Spotify and 
Overcast and your favorite po- podcast player as well. So, uh, And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from rainy North Bend today. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles where we're having nice fall weather, welcoming everyone back to classic movie reviews and Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, a funny, funny film directed by H.C. Potter, no relation to Harry Potter. <laughs> so... Interesting. I never noticed uh, that. Yeah, I, I, I look for obscure yeah. facts. So this film uh, was very <laughs> successful for, uh, I think it was RKO that, uh, let me think here. Did RKO release this? Yeah, RKO Radio Pictures released this or produced it, and it was a, dis- distributed by with Selznick Releasing Organization. They had a partnership for a number of years that uh, worked really well. It was interrupted when Howard Hughes bought RKO. But that's another story. Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. I like the way it began because it's sort of an overview of New York City and the beautifulness of of urban life, you know, the streets that are designed to get everybody where they want to go quickly. Manhattan. New York. USA. In any discussion of contemporary America, and how its people live, we must inevitably start with Manhattan, New York City, USA. Manhattan, glistening modern giant of concrete and steel, reaching to the heavens and cradling in its arms seven millions. Seven millions. Happy beneficiaries of the advantages and comforts this great metropolis has to offer. Its fine, wide boulevards facilitate the New Yorker's carefree, orderly existence. A transportation system second to none in passenger comfort. Quaint little sidewalk cafes make for leisurely, gracious living. For its nature lovers, the peace and privacy of a day in the sun. The city offers delightful changes in climate. I suppose you're wondering what all this has to do with Mr. Blandings and his dream house. Well, I'll tell you. Jim Blandings is part of the fabric of this town. Born and raised right here, he's as typical a New Yorker as anyone you'll ever meet. At least he was. If you want to know the real story, I guess I'm your boy. My name's Cole, Bill Cole. I'm Jim's lawyer and, quote, best friend, unquote. Jim's one of those bright young fellows you see around town. College graduate, advertising business, lovely wife, two fine kids, makes about 15,000 a year. Jim and Muriel Blandings are just like thousands of other New Yorkers. Modern cliff dwellers. The morning it all started was just another of those crisp September mornings. And the Blandings were still asleep. <laughs> you see cars honking at each other. And <laughs> the subway, ah, the world's finest subway system. They're crowded in there like gerbils. <laughs> it's the contrast between what the, uh, what the voiceover is saying and what's going on in the, in the film is, is hilarious. And it takes us to the apartment of yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Blandings and their two daughters. And uh, I guess the first 
I don't know, 20 minutes of the film, we get a sense of what it's like for them living in this apartment, which looks very nice and would had to have been very nice in, in, in 1948. But it only has one bathroom for four people. And uh, everything looks really claustrophobic because they have big pieces of furniture and the closets are jammed full. And uh, when, they, <laughs> when they start to wake well, up, they also have a, a housekeeper that lives that. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think, does she show up to work there or does she live there? That's never really clear to me in the apartment. I don't know if, I, I'm not clear in the apartment. I know later she is living there, but yeah, that's not totally clear. So, and the, the two young daughters are, are getting older and they have a lot of opinions. They're very. They do. Uh, <laughs> they do. They're going to a school that, that is, I think, for, for Mr. Blandings, he thinks the school is designed. And the curriculum designed just to make it look like he's some kind of a bad thief in the night for his marketing and advertising work. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't have a lot of goodness to say. Who did it? Yes? I did. Haven't I repeatedly told you not to cut up the morning paper until I've had a chance to look at it? I'm sorry, Father. It's necessary to search. What's that, another Miss Stellwagger's so-called progressive projects? Coming through, Theodore. Say, does Theodore have to have breakfast with us? Can't you take him into the living room? Dear, there just isn't any point in sending your children to an expensive school if you're going to undermine the teacher's authority in your own dining. I'm not undermining anything. I'm in the advertising business, and keeping abreast of the times is important to me. So is your children's education. Well, that's not the point. It certainly is. Not. Baker, baker, baker. You drink your milk. Joan, every time your father and I have a lively discussion, we aren't necessarily bickering. What is it, Betsy? Another English composition? Miss Stellwagen has assigned each of us to take a classified ad and write a human interest theme about it. I found one typical of the disintegration of our present society. I wasn't aware of the fact our society was disintegrating. I didn't expect you to be, Father. Miss Delwagon says that middle-class people like us are all too prone to overlook... Muriel, I know this is asking a lot, but just one morning I would like to sit down and have breakfast without social significance. Jim, you really must take more interest in your children's education. Can't squeeze blood from a turnip. All right. I listen. Shoot. It's just 16 words. I'm going to call it A Minor Tragedy of Our Times. Well? Forced to sell. Farm dwelling. Original beams. Barn. Apple orchard. Trout stream. Seclusion. Superb view. Will sacrifice. But go on. That's all. That's all? You don't see it, do you, Father? No, a fellow wants to sell his house, so he puts an ad in the paper. What did you expect him to do, take it to the United Nations? There must be more to it than that, isn't there, dear? Certainly, Mother. What some people don't see is the whole sordid picture. A poor, honest farmer pushed to the wall by hardship until finally, in desperation, he's forced to sell and stoops to the crass commercialism of newspaper advertising. Oh, indeed. Mm-hmm. Newspaper advertising. 
crash commercialism, huh? Miss Delwagon says advertising is a basically parasitic profession. You don't say. Miss Delwagon says advertising makes people who can't afford it buy things they don't want with money they haven't got. Oh, she does, does she? Well, perhaps your Miss Stellwagon is right. Perhaps I should quit this basically parasitic profession, which at the very moment is paying for your fancy tuition and those extra French lessons and that progressive summer camp. To say nothing of the very braces on your back teeth. Jim, I wish you wouldn't discuss money in front of the children. Why not? They spend enough of it. Baker, Baker, Baker. Uh -huh. Girls, get your things and run along. You'll be late for school. Bye, Daddy. Give my regards to Miss Stellwagon. Yeah, Mr. Blandings is an uh, ad executive. This is right before advertising became really huge and, and like that show Mad Men. And if you've seen the oh, show yeah. Mad Men and all the craziness that was going on with advertising, I feel like this was right before that happened because that, that show, I think, was set in the late 50s, early yes. 60s. Yes, yes. Who knows, Mr. Blandings may have been one of the owners of that firm. Yeah, he might have been. <laughs> and his daughters have have lots to say about his profession, which is, is funny. And not much good to say about it. He kind of comes off right away as uh, put upon. And then, is this is this also where we find out that his wife wants to remodel the and and he's she's hired a designer to come in and they're they're going to knock out a wall and try to expand and make the apartment more livable. Oh yes, and in addition to that. Mrs. Blandings has, has asked Bill uh, Cole to help her with some of the drawings and all, the meeting with the architect, which sets Mr. Blandings off because Bill Cole is always hanging around. $7,000, Jim, but... $7,000? Well, that includes tearing out a wall. And I quite agree with Bill that... Oh, you do? You're some lawyer. A defenseless woman without the slightest conception of the value of a dollar comes to you for advice, and the next minute you've got her tearing out walls. I am on record as being opposed to tearing out walls, and so is the woman. If you'd only listen... $7,000? I wouldn't put seven cents into this broken-down rat trap. Jim, how can you talk that way? This is our home. Betsy was practically born in this apartment. That does not make it a national shrine. Now, wait a minute. When I came in here this morning, I had no intention of sending you two to Reno. I thought I was doing you a favor. And he was. He was showing you how you could save $3,000 by simply not tearing out a wall. I can save $7,000 by not doing anything at all. Yeah, you can save another 3500 by not buying her that mink coat. And if you don't take that cruise to the West Indies... All right, Bill, all right. Uh, not a bad day. You've already saved $15,000, and it's not even 9 o'clock. Mm. See you next week. Bye, Jim. Bye, dear. Have a nice weekend. Wait, I'll go down with you. All right. $7,000. Blandings wonders, why doesn't, get, why doesn't he get married or get out of the way? He's always, and he's always giving you kisses and, 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 and hugging me. And she said, well, you want it the other way around? And it's like, he's, he's, just, he's just a victim <laughs> of this cave that they live in. You'd think, my God. How can anybody put up with this? <laughs> and we this goes on. I mean, when they're waking up, it takes forever. When they're shave, when he's shaving and she's showering, and it's like they're living in a submarine. Oh, and then their closet's so packed full of stuff that you can't even get in there without stuff falling down all over the place. <laughs> 
So the director, Mr. Potter, is making a, a good point that perhaps it's time for them to look elsewhere for a home, which begins the adventure of, of, uh, of a lifetime in terms of everything they do is, is bad. They get, they get snookered by a Connecticut real estate guy who's, he sees these city folks and he says oh, to himself, I can unload this dump that I've had on the market for years. And it, and Blandings is just well, yeah. And he goes out. He goes out to look at it, and and he he doesn't he buy it right away without even like checking with anybody. And <laughs> yeah, he, he makes it. Yeah, they're, they're they're just looking, but then he falls in love with it. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Bill? Steel, huh? Mm, steel's an understatement. Swindle might be a little more appropriate. Oh well. <laughs> what do you mean? Every time you get tight, you weep on my shoulder about the advertising business. How it forces a sensitive soul like yourself to make a living by bamboozling the American public. Well, I would say that a small part of that victimized group has now redressed the balance. What are you talking about? You. You've been taken to the cleaners and you don't even know your pants are off. Darling, I told you I said we ought to call Bill. No, Muriel. All right, just what's wrong with this deal? First time around, you offered $10,000 for 50 acres, right? What of it? That's $200 an acre. I know that part of Connecticut, $100 an acre is standard top gouge price to city slickers. When the natives sell to each other, it's around 40 or less. 40? The man's entitled to a fair profit. Not 284%. Besides, you're not getting 50 acres, you're only getting 35, more or less. Where does it say that? I refer to a rather obscure postscript on the back of the second letter from friend Smith. Incidentally, Mr. Hackett has been a little optimistic about the acreage. It will probably survey somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 acres, more or less. <laughs> All right, so it's 35. What's the difference? Do you know how many tennis courts you can get on 35 acres? You're not spending $11,500 for tennis courts. That's not the point. That's precisely the point. We're going to write this fellow Hackett a strong letter. Tell him he can either kick in with those 15 acres, reduce the price, or find another sucker. We'll do no such thing. I'm not going to queer this deal over 15 broken down acres. You just don't understand business. You mean extortion. Now, wait a minute. Now, put that thing down. Look, you can't measure everything on a slide rule. This house has certain intangibles. Like what, for instance? Like antique value, for instance. It just so happens that General uh, uh, Gates stopped right there, that very house, to water his horses. I don't care if General Grant dropped in for a scotch and soda. You're still getting rooked. That was a different war. I think Bill's absolutely right. Now, let me explain something to both of you. For 15 years, I've been cooped up in a four-room cracker box. Just getting shaved in the morning entitles a man to the purple heart. That still doesn't make this a good buy. Bill, Muriel and I have found what I'm not ashamed to call our dream house. It's like a fine painting. You buy it with your heart, not your head. You don't ask how much was the paint, how much was the canvas. You look at it, and you say it's beautiful, I want it. And if it costs a few more pennies, you pay it and gladly, because you love it. And you can't measure the things you love in dollars and cents. Well, anyway, that's the way I feel about it. 
And when I sign those papers on Saturday, I can look the world in the face and say it's mine. My house, my home, my 35 acres. Our house, our home, our 35 acres. More or less. And of course, then his friend Bill Cole, who's an attorney, looks at the papers and looks at the uh, this bill of sale and all that, and he says, "My goodness, it's larceny! They're they're rooking you out of all this money." <laughs> and Blandings, <laughs> once again, Blandings is <laughs> he pays like five times the value of it or something. Well, he pays two hundred dollars an acre for Connecticut land that uh, the locals sell to each other for forty dollars an acre. And it just goes on and on. <laughs> I, there's three things about this movie, and, and two of one of them I really love, and the other two, one is sort of quaint, and the other one is a sign of the times. But the thing I really love about it is just the hilarious nature of all the mistakes that are made as they build this thing. He makes mis- Blandings makes mistake. Mrs. Blandings has things going on that cost a lot of money. Bill Cole is always showing up at weird times. So I love that part, but the part that doesn't fit today is they're doing this, and Mr. Blandings is making this phenomenal sum of fifteen thousand dollars a year, and he th- he says, "Just think about all those people that can't make fifteen thousand dollars a year." And I'm like, "That right away dates this film." <laughs> I'm not even sure anymore if that's the minimum wage. Uh, so that one sort of is. If I, I have to ignore that in order to enjoy the film, which which I do. And then the third one is, I do think that they, the character of Mrs. Blandings, play, played by Myrna Loy, is another representation of the picture that's perceived of women in motion pictures. She's not a strong character. She gets in trouble with him, with Mr. Blandings, because of the architect on the apartment and then some of the things she does in the house. I just... I, I I wish it could be done with a stronger, you know, I'm I'm sort of like taking today's set of values and placing it on something over 70 years ago, and I, I struggle with that. The money thing is funny, though. Yeah, the money thing is really funny, because he's a very successful executive, and he's actually on this really important account for this ham. <laughs> Wham! <laughs> and he's got to come up with a new slogan. Wham, ham! What I find funny and also frustrating about it is that he has this huge deadline and and he's got all this work that he needs to do but then he's like super distracted by wanting to build this house at the same time and move his family out to connecticut and he waits until the very 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 last possible moment to actually do his job and i'm thinking how did he ever become a successful executive if this is how he he works he's he's bum he's the bumbler mr blanny's well and he's saved by the housekeeper yeah well, that's a, that. I, I totally agree with your three observations. My my addition to that would be she basically comes up with the slogan and they use her as the model, but I don't really feel like she gets compensated for it. You know, like she should she should be making a lot of money from that. She saved his bacon, so to speak. The astute agency would have hired her. <laughs> yeah, I just was. I just thought, man, she needs to be way more compensated than she was at the end of that show, the movie. Oh, totally. <laughs> she totally. should be buying the house and building the house. It's not really clear how much she makes on that, but but uh, I'm, I'm glad we agree on that because 
well, every time I watch it, I love the premise, and I love I love Bill Cole's character because he's unflappable, <laughs> and I love the. Well, and he's so he's just so mildly inappropriate too. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> yes. And I also don't understand why uh, there's that there's that confusion later in the movie when, when they've kind of moved into the house and and Bill comes out to visit and Jim Blandings needs to go back into the city to finish up his project, and so Bill and Muriel are at the house together alone. And then, and then the next morning, Jim comes back home, and Bill comes downstairs in like a house coat. I know, like. Bathroom on the second floor. I bet my bottom dollar. The bridge is roped off, and Bill had to stay here last night. Slept like a rock. Rip out about sixty feet of armored cable between the main panel and the junction box by the oil burner, including the two twenty volt cable that goes to the stove. Morning, everybody. Wow, what a night! I've never seen so much rain in all my natural life. <laughs> Gussie spent the night in Lansdale. I passed the girls over at the Williamses. They'll be on any minute. Thank you, Gussie. You better get breakfast started. Yes, sir. Uh, where were we? <clears throat> we were at the 220-volt cable that goes to the stove. And, of course, there are hot and cold water pipes hooked to the joist right under Just that. Just a minute. You mean the children weren't here last night either? How could they be? The bridge was closed. I just came across it. It was closed last night. It's open now. Well, uh, if you'll all excuse me, I think I'll just go upstairs and slip into something a little more comfortable. He spent the night and <laughs> and he gets so upset because there's like this subplot of this love triangle between the three of them. Even though it, it's not, it, there's nothing there at all. Like Muriel and Bill, there's nothing going on, but it's all in Jim's head. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the plot of this adventure, uh, sort of, they buy this ramshackle place, and Mr. Blandings is convinced the Gary, the Cary Grant character is convinced that it's a great deal and he so he has like three or four structural engineers look at the place and all of them say tear it down he just he won't buy he kept he kept paying for this <laughs> he doesn't like the first one he doesn't he like got three or four <laughs> yeah. all of them saying the same thing and finally uh it's it, he decides it is going to be torn down and then they get bids from contractors and 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 his friend Bill Cole is always involved in things. He's He's got the bids, and they're all too high, except for one from a company headed by the, the Retch, the Retch Con- Construction Company, R-E-T-C-H. <laughs> and they, they have a bid that looks okay to Cole. So they go ahead, and that's Jason Robards. Yeah. Oh, but before that, Mr. Blandings once again gets a, a bug in his ear and he decides they're going to tear down the house. And so they tear down the house and it's got a mortgage on it. It's going to be cheaper it's going to be cheaper to tear it down because it's such it's such bad shape. But what happens is he doesn't clear all the paperwork and somebody had a mortgage on the place. And as soon as they tore it down, $6,000 came due on this mortgage. Again, the the figure it's hilarious, but he he owes another six grand. He hasn't done anything yet except spend a lot of money. This all got kicked off by wanting to just remodel the apartment, which was going to cost seven thousand dollars. Now they're they're already have spent more than the seven thousand, and they don't have anything to show for it, really. <laughs> and again, Mister Blandings hated that idea because he said, "I wouldn't put seven cents into this rat trap of the apartment." So he really didn't care for where they lived. Yeah, I tell you, so. Yeah. So the place is torn down. He's got to he's got to pay off this mortgage. 
And again, Bill Cole decides to help him. I'll talk to the boys <laughs> at the bank, see if they can agree to use your life insurance as collateral. So he's always the fixer. He's like the second husband in the relationship. The, the more prudent of the two. <laughs> Definitely. So then they begin the construction. And uh, it, yeah. it's, it's like... <laughs> I loved it when they, they locked themselves in the, the little closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're out touring the construction site, and then somehow they get locked in this closet. Well, it, oh. there's just so many mishaps. They... He, Mr. and Mrs. Blanians go out with Bill to take a look at the construction, and there's a big uh, shovel moving dirt onto a truck, and they're standing what looks like about a foot from where all this is going on in their business clothes, and the and the construction operator yeah. of, the, of the equipment says, "Get out of the way! Are you crazy? You're going to get killed!" And then uh, he goes over to check with the guy that's digging the well for water, and that guy. He is so nonchalant, <laughs> and, and it's costing him $4.50 a foot to dig this well. How long does that go on? Three weeks now, and $4.50 a foot. All right. I think I'd better have a little talk with Mr. Tissander. was how far down are you? Oh, about 130 feet. Uh, isn't that pretty deep? Yeah. I mean, uh, do you think perhaps you ought to try another spot? Up to you. Oh, well, haven't you hit anything yet at all? Hit some limestone yesterday. That's good? That's bad. Uh, right now, looks like we're coming into some shale. That's bad? That's good. Oh, of course, it might turn out to be sandstone. That's bad. Can't tell. Might be good, might be bad. One thing you know, you got plenty shale, sandstone, and limestone. I see. Mr. Sander. How do you do? How do you do? Uh, just for the record, of course, what happened to water? Oh, it's there, all right. Just got to be patient. Well, a little bit later in the movie, they accidentally like hit upon a spring, and the whole place yes. is flooded. <laughs> and the guy with, that was digging the well was like, "Well, uh, you know, I didn't just didn't know. <laughs> you just never know." With this. <laughs> I forget which guy that was. I don't remember who plays the the. That was guy, that W. D. Tassander? I can't remember, but anyway, he was perfect in that role. And then if I step back from this, which, which is hard to do because it draws me in, two things come to mind. There can't be one person that, that watches this film today that doesn't wish those prices were still in effect. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> but the no other kidding. thing is, it, it's right after World War II, and the suburban growth in and around these major cities had just begun. And Connecticut, the rural Connecticut where they were today... You couldn't tell it apart from the, the city. It's 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 built up that much. It's just 
exploded. There were 20 million people in New York City in the metropolitan area. So all this Connecticut land that was $200 an acre that he paid and $40 for the local, I can't even imagine what that would be today in the tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. So the whole film, even though it's hilarious, is just so dated by the by the figures. You, it's amazing. Well, anyway, the, the house continues to be built. It is interesting to see that, that change, though. And it, this was right after World War II because you see that, that change in society that happened after the war when all these men came back and there were so many people you know, in, in and around New York City. And yeah, like you said, people starting to think about moving out to the suburbs. And it, it's just right in that time. And for me, it's almost like a historical artifact of the, <laughs> of the late 40s. It really is. Because I think the uh, probably the average annual income back then was probably, I don't know, 2,500 a year, 3,000 a year, something like that. So the figures, if you put them into the day's dollars would work as a part of the film, but you just have to add a lot of zeros to make it fit. And you'd have to go a lot further out into the country to find any yeah, land Yeah, they'd be like way, way out into the hinterland. So the house construction continues, and what's amazing to me is they actually built that house for the film. I know, isn't that crazy? I don't know if it's still around or not. I, I didn't check into that. And, it, it, and the land that they built it on, wasn't there like a big boulder or something in the way and they couldn't like excavate they had to move move where the foundation was going to be there was just like everything that could go wrong went wrong with this house oh yeah there was the there was the uh, this gigantic boulder they thought they'd have to dynamite it out and but it, but it was like <laughs> yeah. it was like he thought he bought 50 acres and then bill cole points out that well, it's not really 50 acres because there's this and that and the other thing and whatnot. It's actually more or less 35 acres. So he just he actually added to the cost of the whole thing. But imagine owning 35 acres. Say you own 35 acres in North Bend. Just what that would be worth of that kind of prime property. Oh, well, I mean, but that would, but it wouldn't even be equivalent to North Bend. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like Bellevue, Bellevue Redmond, something you know? like that. It, yeah, you could retire on that. Sure. Another scene, remember when they first go out to look at it, they have to cross that bridge, and it's skunk, it's the Skunk Creek <laughs> oh, Bridge, yeah. and he won't, Mr. Blandings will not take any advice from Mrs. Blandings. Congress ought to pass a law. When a man buys a house in Lansdale County, there's a prize. He gets 10% off if he can find it. Hmm. Over the bridge and turn right. Left. You know, if you really want to find that house of yours, it's no problem. Just pretend that you're one of General Gates' horses and you're very thirsty. Where would you go for a drink of water? And they make three or four circuits and end up back at that bridge. Because he can't figure out how to get to the house. He doesn't listen to his wife at all. He's just, he doesn't listen to anybody. Or anybody, yeah. But they finally make it. Causes it. him no ending of suffering. So... The house is nearing completion, or so we think. 
But one of the funniest scenes for me is when Mrs. Blandings is meeting with the painters. That's right, upstairs and in the bedroom. Mother! That'll be fine. The moving guy has just left and we wait for Never mind. Moment. You two go and help Gussie in the kitchen. Now, Mr. Fidelford, we'll talk about the painting. Okay. I had some samples. Oh, here we are. Now, first, the living room. I want it to be a soft green. Uh-huh. Not as blue-green as a robin's egg. No. But not as yellow-green as daffodil buds. Uh-huh. Now, the only sample I could get is a little too yellow. But don't let whoever does it go to the other extreme and get it too blue. No. It should just be a sort of grayish-yellow-green. Uh-huh. Now, the dining room. I'd like yellow. Not just yellow, a very gay yellow. Something bright and sunshiny. Uh-huh. I tell you, Mr. Padelford, if you'll send one of your workmen to the grocer for a pound of their best butter and match that exactly, you can't go wrong. Uh-huh. Now, this is the paper we're going to use in the hall. It's flowered, but I don't want the ceiling to match any of the colors of the flower. No. There's some little dots in the background, and it's these dots I want you to match. Not the little greenish dot near the hollyhock leaf. No. But the little bluish dot between the rosebud and the delphinium blossom. Is that clear? Uh-huh. Now, the kitchen's to be white. Not a cold antiseptic hospital white. No. A little warmer, but still, not to suggest any other color but white. Uh-huh. Now, for the powder room, in here... I want you to match this thread, and don't lose it. It's the only spool I have, and I had an awful time finding it. As you can see, it's practically an apple red, somewhere between a healthy wine sap and an unripened Jonathan. Uh-huh. Oh, excuse me. You got that, Charlie? Red, green, blue, yellow, white. Check. She goes on and on and on, and he, she leaves... And the painter says to the other painter, you got it? Yeah, green, yellow, red, and blue. It's like, <laughs> and again, that's funny, but it's also very dismissive of the woman. So it's, it's a mixed message to me. I watch that, and I right. think that's hilarious, but it's also demeaning to her. That they don't they don't make any effort to that happens that happens several times because there's another scene later where she wanted to add on to the back and have like a gardening shed kind of a thing after all the things that Jim Blandings has done it's like well you should just give her this you know it's like he's he's kind of a jerk about that too oh yeah it it, it ended up costing him like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars more they had to redo an electrical outlet redo the plumbing tear up the floor. And I felt sorry for Reginald Denny's character, Henry Sims. He was the architect. Because he kept getting stuck with all these bills that had to be paid. And he had to explain to Mr. Blandings on this particular one what was going on. Uh, yeah. And well, I didn't so care much for that scene between the three yeah. of them, the two Blandings and, and the Sims character. Because, once again, Mr. Blandings was berating... And, and man-speaking, if you will, to uh, Mrs. Blandings. Fine, fine. Everything all right? Everything's fine. Oh, hello, Henry. What are you doing out with the morning dew? Just dropped in to check the blueprints. Some extras came in from rest this morning, and there are a couple of things I thought we ought to go over together. Really? What are they? Well, let's see. There are a few things here that are all right, I guess. Mortising five butts. Dollar ninety-eight. Well, let's not quibble about it. 
A man's entitled to mortise a few butts now and then. Extra hardware, $3.89. Petty last name, but let him get away with it. Now, there's one here that, frankly, I don't understand. Here we are. Changes in closet, $1,247. Did you authorize that? Well, we probably told him to... 1200 what? $47 changes in closet. That's the end. What's this notation? Refer to detail sheet 135. What's that? As near as I can remember, that's something in back of the house. Let's take a look. There we are. Uh, it isn't a closet at all. It's, it's off the back pantry. Mrs. Branding's little flower sink. Mrs. Blanding's little flower sink. You didn't authorize any changes, did you? Well, they certainly weren't changes. What have you done? I haven't done anything. All I did was just nothing at all. What have you done? Well, all I did was one day I saw four pieces of flagstone left over from the porch that were just going to be thrown away because nobody wanted them. And I asked Mr. Wretch if he wouldn't just put them down on the floor of the flower room and poke a little cement between the cracks and give me a nice stone floor where it might be wet with flowers and things. That's absolutely all I did. That's all you did? Absolutely. Just four little pieces of flagstone. Uh, did you, by any chance, authorize a drain? Of course I didn't. All I said was that I wanted a nice, dry stone floor. And Mr. Wretch was just as nice as he could be and said, well, you're the doctor. And that was all that anybody said to anybody about anything. Uh, well, I think I can tell you what happened. First, the carpenters had to rip out the flooring that was already laid. Those planks run under the entire width of the pantry, so Wretch had to knock out the bottom of the pantry wall to get at them. Then, he had to chop off the top of the joist under the flower sink space to make room for the cradle. Or, I guess he got some iron straps and fastened them to a large pan to give him something to hold the cement. And then, with that added load on the weakened joist, I'll bet he had to put a lally column down there for support, too. Mm, but it was just four little flagstones, and I... Quiet. Uh, it's so... It, it's, it's so glaring to me. I think that's the thing that detracts from the the movie for me because I do find like all the mishaps really funny, and like there, there's some physical comedy that's funny, but then the way he treats her, and I I really don't like that, and I also don't like the way that um, Gussie's character is portrayed. Um, but you know, again, it's like a sign of the times, and so it is it is accurate, but I think it's really unfortunate at the same Myrna time. Myrna Loy, who plays Muriel Blandings, had a long and distinguished career in film. And and back in the 1930s, MGM did uh, the Thin Man series, and she was, uh, the, she was um, the wife. And William Powell and, and she were paired, I think, in six or seven films, all of which were so believable that people thought they were actually married. Oh, and wow. my point on this one is... She was equal to him. There wasn't this dismissive nature to it. It's, it's almost like this film was made before that film, and it's the other way around. Because what makes The Thin Man so good is that they're equals. She's every bit as smart and witty as he is and doesn't put up with his 
uh, gaffes and whatnot. So it, it's it's a it's a sign of I don't know what that means in terms of it came out twelve years after the first uh, Thin Man, but uh, anyway. Well, I think it's just the way that women were being portrayed in media at the time, and for a long time, and still are. Yes. yes. So, so the yeah. house is reaching conclusion, but then there's that terrible rainstorm, and Mr. Blandings is off in the city trying to get the <laughs> yeah. slogan for the Wham Ham. Not only does Bill Cole show up, but the kids can't make it home, nor can Bessie or Gussie. So it's Miss, it's Mrs. Blandings and Bill Cole alone in this new house, and and uh, he stays the night, and that's when he comes down and he's dressed in that that smoking jacket or robe. He doesn't have a choice because the bridge is the road is washed out. Yeah, but yeah, when he comes down the stairs in that coat, that's so funny. I'm thinking he blew the bridge up so he could spend the night with her. <laughs> he was that cool a character. Well, even at the end, there, he shows up. At the very end, the last scene, there he is. Yeah, there he is. He's just a part of their life. Do they call him Uncle Bill, I think, or something? Yeah, like I think they Uncle do. Cole the kids the, do. The kids. But it ends on a, on an upbeat note. Like, everything gets wrapped up, and they have their house, and his job is saved, and... Uh, Gussie becomes the new, the new, you know, spokesperson for for Wham Ham, <laughs> and and this all happens the morning that they all show up at the house after the rainstorm, and she decides to fix breakfast, and the kids say, "What are we having?" Well, we're going to have ham and eggs, and and uh, they say, "Well, okay, what kind? What kind of ha- we're having ham?" And and Gussie says, "Yes." Morning, everybody. Dad, why aren't you at the office? Hmm. Um, well, I'm on a kind of vacation. You mean you got fired? Uh, we'll no, not exactly. Uh, Come and get it, everybody. Breakfast is ready. Oh, good. I'm starving. What are we having, Gussie? Orange juice, scrambled eggs, and you know what? Ham? Not ham. Ram. If you ain't eating ham, you ain't eating ham. <laughs> now, you kids go wash your hands. <laughs> Muriel, Dolly, give Gussie a $10 raise. If you ain't eating lamb, you ain't eating ham. And that saves the day for, for our <laughs> bumbling James Blandings because that becomes the new logo. And there's Gussie all yeah. dressed up fixing the ham. And she did get a raise for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm uh, thinking she probably didn't get any royalties out of that at all. Exactly. It's, it's, it's <laughs> so, yeah, it's a funny movie. It's a funny movie, but it has some problems <laughs> for me. I know my my mom and dad, I don't know if they went to the movie, but I know they had the book at home, and I think they both read it, so they probably did go see the film. But I suppose in 1948, first of all, the dollar figures would work because that fit the time, and the hilarity of the whole thing would fit what was going on. And I think in the, in the 1948 time period, I guess people just, accepted that that's the way a wife would be treated so it was kind of remade later with tom hanks right? the money pit and the money pit yeah i've seen i've seen that I, I don't think it's as funny as this one but it the characters are better balanced in terms of, of each of the of the man and the woman i think yeah i don't remember it being like a super funny movie so anyway what was your rating for this one i have three ratings oh <laughs> okay. I, I, I worked this out i worked this out with an algorithm 
<laughs> Jeez, you really got complicated. This is like you're making it complicated, like building his house. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You'll have to be Bill Cole. I, I give it a 10 for the th- the plot, the story, the, the hilarity of the just the constant stream of mistakes that he makes. For me, that's a 10. That they, they get hoodwinked <laughs> by that Connecticut real estate guy and the house has to be torn down and everything goes wrong and he doesn't know what his friend is doing, always showing up. So that's that's a 10. I give it a, I give it a sem- 7 for for how Mr. and Mrs. Blandings interact and the and the the tone of that. I think it's clear that he thinks he's the boss of this. Uh, and so, and then I give it a five on the, um, the lack of really a serious involvement for the character Gussie. So overall, I'd give, I'd give it a seven. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go with a seven. Yeah. Kind of similar thinking to you. I think some of those scenes are just really, really funny. And then other scenes are just really painful to watch. (laughs) So it, it balances out to maybe a six or a seven. No, I was talking with one of our listeners on Facebook, and he, he, he absolutely loves this movie and watches it, you know, every year or often. And, I, you know, so I think it has a certain place in with people, and, and they really, really like it, and I can appreciate that for sure. Well, for me, it works the best if I can put my head into 1948, which is really hard to do, you know, given the cost of housing and salaries and all but but I was going to mention that our next film Adam's Rib will help balance the scales because there there's there's a strong woman and a strong man battling out in the courtroom Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy so I think that'll help yeah that's a funny movie that'll be fun and then did we decide what we're going to do after that let's see we had uh, coming up next Adam's Rib for 1949 and then we could either do another comedy. Well, it's a drama comedy from 1942 with Jack Benny. To Be or Not to Be, about the Nazi invasion of Poland. That sounds like it would be nothing uh, comedic at all, but, but the way it's portrayed and, and it's kind of like the parody of Hitler, uh, that's another one we could do. Or we could do stage, uh, The Red Shoes from 1948, a musical. So for sure it's Adam's Rib. Okay, why don't we think about what to do after that? Yeah, both they, of those really, sound they good. really are. And we, it's seldom that you would see Jack Benny in any film. He didn't make that many. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that would be good. But let's see if it's how easy it is to find, too, because that's another thing. I Yes, or I did. Or did you already let's check see, on that? What did I do here? Uh, to be or not to be? It's available on YouTube or HBO Max. So it's, a, it's a rental. Oh, okay. And the red shoes is on Amazon Prime and YouTube. All these films that we're working with right now are probably rentals if we can't get them on a DVD service from from uh, Netflix. Okay, the cats didn't join us today. Hello, kitty. That cat looks like it owns the house. <laughs> All the cats own the house. They each think that they do. <laughs> At any moment, you could be dismissed. Exactly. Well, that was our review of Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House. And coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles, uh, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. Stay safe. Drop in and see us sometime. Yeah, do that.